Welcome to the Innovative Leader Podcast, featuring Christy Geiger, Executive Coach with Synergy Strategies, and David Phillips, Professor, Consultant, and Coach. Welcome. We are sitting here at the end of May, and I'm with David Phillips, and this is Christy Geiger with the Innovative Leader Podcast, uh, coming to leaders to equip, inspire, and transform. Um, Today, we're um, at an interesting point with COVID stuff continues to continue. Some places are beginning to open more, different feelings about that. Minneapolis is going crazy, which I am a bit more tuned into just because my family is in Minneapolis. I was in Minneapolis for a while um, with the uh, Black Lives Matter and just um, fairness and what is going on and really uh, a lot of looting and fires and craziness. I'm sure everyone is aware of that. But so today it brought us to this topic that David and I are both very passionate about in leadership and neuroscience and in leadership, really we're doing our very best to lead. But as we're aware of the neuroscience of our mind and what's happening in our mind, it equips us to lead better And with different things that are going on and, you know, in different organizations as people are trying to navigate COVID, beginning to come back to work. When do you come back to work? What does that look like? Um, How do we, how do we make good decisions? Do we innovate? Do we change what we're doing? Whatever. Um, Leaders are making these tough decisions. And sometimes in the midst of making these tough decisions, things can go south. They get ugly, they get tense, people get upset, um, arguments start, you may not argue, you may completely shut down, uh, people respond in different ways, some people laugh, exactly like humor, we all respond differently right. when things are going south, but the fact is, is that sometimes things go south. And so what we wanted to talk about today was just the ability for leaders to grow in their awareness of what's going on when things go south in the human mind and human emotions, and then how to navigate that better. Um, so David, kind of getting into this topic, what what do you think about this whole topic of our frontal lobe and our limbic system and how that plays out in the workforce and in leadership? Yeah. So the, 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 it's, it's, it's one of those lightly regarded, um, aspects of our humanity uh, that has not been dealt with very well uh, in the past. Uh, we, we like to be, we like to think we're rational people and that we're logical and we come to rational conclusions and those kinds of things. But the reality is we, we really don't. We, we come to emotional conclusions and we try to rationalize those emotions. Um, and so when we, um, when we talk about leadership, we have to be aware of um, our own mental state, our own mental health or awareness, um, and, 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 and the, the emotions that we're feeling. And then we also have to be aware of the emotions uh, of the people that we lead because they are, uh, they're varied, their experiences are varied, and no two situations and no two people are exactly the same. And so th- that there has to be that awareness of emotion both on ourselves and on uh, on the people we lead to effectively lead and to get things accomplished and to get things done. And as things go south, then we have to be prepared to, to, to understand what's going on and, and, and maybe just maybe both in ourselves and in others, we can help, um, help 
that that journey south to not be so far that that maybe by by understanding what's going on uh, by helping other people understand what's going on in their own mental state or their own emotional state that we can that journey can be shortened and, and I think that's huge because it, it, it if you go south, everybody's going to go south. Everything is going to go south at some point in our lives. The farther south we go, the the, the deeper we go into depression and in those kinds of situations, the harder it is to get out of it. And um, uh, so, so things are not going to go well sometimes, but we have to be uh, mentally aware so that we don't just lose everything. And I think that's the challenge of leadership. It's a challenge of leadership in challenging times. Yeah, agree. I think that's very true about why is this worth studying? Why is this worth being aware of? And that this really is part of emotional intelligence and right. what we do to develop our ability to emotionally manage ourselves, um, emotionally understand others. And your point about the further south we go, it increases conflict. It increases right. not understanding. And the more, um, you know, person A with person B, both of them are getting in, say, that limbic system mode, the further south it goes. And if one person doesn't recognize they're in that mode, you you just keep going further south. Right. Yeah. And I think I think about um, Minneapolis right now. Uh, back to your, you know, your, your idea, your statement about Minneapolis that um, I don't know what was going through those officers minds. There's, there's no way I, I think that we could, that we could go through that. I, I know that, I mean, I have some friends who are officers. They, I know every time they step out of the car, they're worried they're not going to come back home. I mean, that's just, that's just very real. Um, but I wish I could have a chance just to sit down and say, what was going through your mind at that time? And what, what were you feeling at that point? Because I think if, if we could ask those questions of ourselves and of others that, that maybe we could learn and we could grow um, and not do those things again. And, And obviously the status of those officers are, you know, it's, it's, they, they were fired and, and the potential prosecution at that point. So they'll probably never be an officer again, but it would be, you know, that's why the, the FBI set up that behavioral science unit uh, years ago uh, to kind of study some of these things, to try to figure out why criminals create, do crime, why people react the way they do, why police behave the way they do, those kinds of things. And, and uh, it's not just about crime. It's about, it's about every aspect of our lives, uh, whether we're fighting with our spouse or fighting with a friend. It's, we have to understand why, why we do the things we do um, because they're emotionally based. And uh, so it is that emotional intelligence, intelligence that you were talking about. Uh, and that's, that's key to, to understanding ourselves and leading ourselves and then also leading others. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I, that's it is an interesting reflection to think about the police force and to think about that service field, because I do believe as leaders, we are responsible to manage ourselves first. That is part of leadership. And so, yes, do we want to train and mentor and equip our followers to have great emotional intelligence 
Absolutely. But leaders are responsible to manage themselves first and to grow that emotional intelligence. And we've talked about in the past with the limbic system and frontal lobe, how it always fascinates me in military training and what they go through the SEALs training being a um, kind of a peak height of the different types of trainings. But whether you're in fire, rescue, police, and then moving up into military, to the Marines, to the SEALs, to whatever, um, and forgive me if I'm saying any of those wrong, since I am not seasoned in that, but very thankful and respectful of it. But they train to not have their brain triggered. So when they are in the cage drowning, they are training because the natural mind, really what we're talking about is the frontal lobe and the limbic system. Now, this is an oversimplification. The brain is much more complex than that. But for basic um, application in order to apply it in leadership and in our humanity, let's just take those two areas of your frontal lobe and your limbic system. And the reality is, while our limbic system is the host of our emotions, it's the host of our senses, it's the door to our subconscious, which really runs, what is it, like 80 or 90% of our reality really yes. stems out of our subconscious. So we've got these two systems. And in the limbic system, There is something that a lot of psychologists and people will reference as the lizard brain. Um, Other places will call it like your saboteurs or your gremlins or whatever. But there's this piece of our brain that is naturally innate to survival. And um, it's even been talked about how why humans are naturally negative. Um, You know, why when you stand in the grocery store, there's a, a... leaning towards negativity. Well, the survival bias looks for the threat. It looks for what could go wrong. So I'm scanning for the threat in order to protect my survival. And so this part of our brain is this survival piece of the brain, but it also is the part that is looking for things to be afraid of, things to be fearful of. And so if we can talk, you know, really we've got the, the limbic brain, And the frontal lobe are these two areas of our mind. And going back to what you're talking about with the military and the police, they're training so that when their limbic brain gets hijacked, so suddenly they feel, and and really specifically the lizard part of the brain, which is the part that has the fear, the fight, the flight, the amygdala hijack piece of it. When that is happening and they're like, oh my gosh, I got to get out of here. Oh my gosh, I don't know what's happening. Oh my gosh, I need certainty. When that gets activated, how do I get myself over here into the frontal lobe? Because the frontal lobe is really responsible for rational thinking, for logical thinking, for the ability to see the big picture of what's going on. It's our calm, centered, focused place where we are in a more, I like to call it sage. Um, I'm borrowing that term from positive intelligence and Shirzad Shamin, where he talks about the sage and the saboteur. Mm -hmm. But our sage mind is that much more... Uh, level place. Um, so there's a seesaw constantly going on. How do you see that, David, with leaders and the seesaw of the frontal lobe in the limbic system? How does that show up that you've seen or observed in the workplace? Yeah. So so it shows up when um, it shows up when stress happens, uh, either either on uh, in a team or or with the leader. Uh, the leader. Um, can, can get very stressed. And so, uh, the default at that point, sometimes oftentimes is, is that, that lizard brain, it's survival. We just got to get it done. Um, it, it comes when people are, um, 
are concerned about uh, their power or their control. Uh, mm-hmm. That's another place where it shows up, and it shows up there uh, in a huge way, uh, probably more often than we would like to admit, um, because we we start thinking of ways to keep that and even to sabotage other people so that we can ma- maintain those um, powers of control. You see it show up a, a lot, too, in passive-aggressive comments, um, mm. backhanded compliments uh, as well. So so, so it shows up in how, how people are addressed, how people are, um, uh, how people work together, uh, people get sick even. Uh, it becomes a psychophysiological effect uh, in some cases. Um, and uh, they just don't, they don't show it from work or, or what they do things that are self-destructive behaviors uh, when, when there's fight, flight, fight, or, or freeze. Uh, so, so it shows up in those areas, and so as um, as a, as a leader, we have to be able to to decipher that in ourselves first of all. Um, one of the things that I, that I like to ask people when um, when when people start talking about their own behavior is, "Why do you think you did that?" It's just a general question. Why do you think you did that? And then you begin to lead them down this path of, "Well, I did that because of this." then why did you do that? And and, and you just keep walking down that, why did I do that? And oftentimes you actually come to a a scenario that is probably a decade old. And uh, and you're you're actually kind of reacting out of that and that that lizard brain takes over and and pushes you into flight, flight, fight, flight, or freeze. Um, And that that emotional hijack that goes on. Um, and, And so that's... As a leader, we have to do that. Uh, one of the things that that um, I did when I was doing my doctor work in this is uh, I started writing down, did every took everything that I did and I wrote it down, and then I would ask myself why, and I just journaled it. Um, I, I would ask myself, I would come in and I noticed a pattern in my own life. I'd come in um, in the afternoon from doing something, and I would go. The first thing I'd do is go to the fridge. Why? Why am I, why is this habit? Why is this built in them? And, and I trace it all the way back to being a latchkey kid coming home from school. And that was the first inclination. I, I was there by myself. I was, I was uh, wanting comfort. I was wanting, you know, that emotional, the, 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 the jolt from emotional eating, um, those kinds of things. I traced it all the way back. Um, and so, so as a leader, I think we have to start there. Why do I, why not, why am I doing this? Um, and, but we've got to get in our right mind to be able to do that. And we're going to talk about that uh, as well. Yeah. I think journaling is a great tip and a great tool to use in reflection and trying to observe and notice when we're in our two states of mind. When yeah. do I feel sage? Versus when do I feel like my lizard brain is going off and then asking that question, why, why did I do that? What was my intention? What was I thinking about? What, what was I hoping would happen? What's, what's going on with that? Because it is true that our lizard brain in general is developed from early on. And whether it's a combination of our personalities and the blind spots of our personalities. So you may be um, kind of lizard, uh, like you were mentioning, where some people 
may shut down and get sick. Some people become very aggressive. Some people shut down. Some people avoid, whatever. We respond differently, which is the nature of part of our personality. But then it, it takes kind of the ditch or the shadow of that personality coupled with our experiences. And that lizard brain is working hard to protect us. Right. And it's working hard to make sure that we're safe, even though the lizard brain is not actually really the best person to listen to it's kind of like listening to that neighborhood friend who you have a lot of fun with but they're probably not the best voice to be listening to um to me that's your lizard brain um it's trying to protect you it's trying to give you good advice but it really is not the sage advice that you need um it does remind me of scarf we've talked about that before but just real quick, that scarf is at CSON. You mentioned a couple of things. The power and control is usually a status trigger. So I go to my frontal lobe. If I feel like I'm important and that we have an equal relationship, I feel triggered or I go to that limbic mode if I feel like my opinion isn't valuable, I'm not important, I'm lesser than, or someone has power over me. Uh, C is certainty. When I feel certainty, I know what's going on. I know the agenda for the meeting. I know that we're having this review, whatever. I go to my frontal lobe. I'm calm and good to go. Certainty. I don't know what's happening. I can get triggered. Um, I, I don't feel safe. I don't know what's going on. I feel like everything around me is uncertain. I, I'm going to move into that survival mode. Autonomy. Do I feel like I have a voice and I have the ability to contribute and I can say my truth and what I need to say? or autonomy hijack is it doesn't matter what I have to say and I'm being told what to do. Um, You know, it's time to leave. Let's go. Uh, And you're like, wait a minute, I'm not ready to go. We can get um, autonomy hijacked relatedness. Am I part of the tribe or not? And fairness, was that fair? Was that not Um, the Minneapolis thing? Huge in the fairness trigger, as you mentioned earlier. So what in the world do we do when that happens? So now we're journaling, we recognize, okay, wow, have this limbic brain, I'm constantly fighting and noticing, have this frontal lobe, uh, sage place, I really want to be, but it's hard to be there. So what the heck do I do when I get triggered? Yeah, so I I know we've talked about it just in prepping for the the podcast a couple, but I'm going to throw a couple more out real quick uh, to kind of start. And then we'll, uh, they just popped into my head. uh, And I think they're, they're important. Um, I had a, I had a professional one time who said, "Never make a decision until you've um, until you've had a good meal and you've rested." Mm. And a lot of times, we make really bad decisions when we're hungry and tired. And I think that uh, uh, two of the big things we can do is to eat right and re- get get good rest because that. I know that when I am tired, um, my limbic system, my lizard brain is, can be right there on edge, uh, because, because we don't have the energy to, 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 to hold back that emotional stress when things happen. And, and, you know, we get in fights in, in our families oftentimes just because, um, just because we're tired, you know, the kids are tired. We're tired. We don't want to deal with them. Get out of my way. You know, it just, things blow up. Uh, and then I'm going to add an, an, actually a third one and that's go for a walk or exercise. Um, there is something about going for a walk, even a 15 or 20 minute walk that energizes your brain. 
and helps get it in the right state. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when that's why it's important to walk away sometimes just to walk away, walk around the house, walk around the block, walk down the street, whatever it takes just to, to get yourself out of that situation and take a break. And, and mentally it does wonders for the brain. I used to walk when I worked at an office, I would eat lunch for 20 minutes. I would go walk for 20 minutes and I would sit in my car and, and close my eyes and try to nap for 20 minutes. Uh, and it does wonders for your afternoon brain, by the way, just, just FYI. Um, so yeah. I'm going to throw those three out there because we didn't talk about them and I, I apologize for that. It just popped in my head. Um, no, I think it's great. To me, those are all part of what I like to refer to as our foundation. David Rock actually addresses that too. And I think that'd be a great topic for next week if we want to, but um, it's called the healthy mind platter. And it is square what you're talking about as far as our eating and our sleeping, our exercise, our downtime, um, our in time processing and mindfulness. So yeah, absolutely. It's like, if you are showing up kind of a mess, you're going to get hijacked really quickly versus if you had good sleep, you're not hangry. You've taken a walk. You have great uh, neurochemicals going on in your brain because you worked out and you already shedded your toxins. You are showing up in a much better place to be sage and not to get hijacked versus if you're tired, you're hangry, you're irritated, Uh, You haven't worked out. You've just come off a 10-hour shift and you've got one more phone call before the end of the day. Um, Pretty much Lizard is is right on the edge to jump. Yeah. (laughs) And also, also, you know, uh, so um, the other thing is to be aware of the medications you're taking. Um, And and we're going to get into some other things, but those just popped into my head because because, – I have a herniated disc. And so every once in a while I have to take, um, it's a, it's a nerve pain pill. But if, if I have to take that at certain times of the day, it will where it will, I feel like I'm just out of it. And it, it makes me, it gets me emotional that I'm right on the edge. So, you know, right. be aware of all the things that we put in our body, be aware of all the things that we do with our body um, because that's going to impact our ability to, to shut down, um, that lizard brain and to be able to think and, and be, have a, a rational, uh, make rational and good decisions. Yeah, that's good. I, th- I think it kind of actually, um, goes to the step one that we were talking about and the step one, when you get hijacked in that limbic system is to label it, to acknowledge it. Yep. And what you're talking about, even with the medications, like if I'm aware that I am on a medication and it causes me to be more tired, it causes me to not pay attention or that I need to eat more frequently or when I am hungry, I do get more hangry. And so all of a sudden I'm biting at you rather than acknowledging, oh boy, you know what? I I think I am actually a little hangry. I'm sorry. Let me go grab a granola bar and then let's continue this conversation or whatever it is. But a lot of times with our limbic system, it is simply, um, David Rock talks about naming it to tame it, mm-hmm. um, that really we're labeling it. We don't need to go and justify it. We don't need to defend right. it. Like you said earlier with emotions, we, we tend to rationalize and minimize. So you don't need to go into all of those places. It's really just label it. Wow. 
um, I, I'm feeling a little status triggered. I feel like my voice isn't being heard. I feel like we're arguing. What's going on? I feel like I'm in competition. Uh, right. Naming it is that first one. And I think your point on acknowledgement and just awareness is huge in order to label it. Yeah, no, exactly. Um, so you, you, na- you name it. This is what's going on right now. Um, whether you do it out loud, whether you write it down, whether you just in your brain say, this is what's going on. That's the first step uh, indeed um, to, to take that and then begin to take some other steps um, to, to quiet that, that reaction or that lizard brain. Yeah. And step number two is interesting because a lot of times, and even in psychology, uh, we tend to think that we need to dig into that, like, why did that happen? What's going on? Um, and we really want to unpack it and, and go deep. And a lot of times that actually is not very useful. It just almost gives more energy and spotlighting to something that we're not really desiring to spotlight. So the step number two is really backing up. And this goes back to what you were saying too about going for a walk is really the practice of mindfulness. And what we're trying to do is specifically in your brain, this is all in neuroscience. This is not just fluffy mumbo jumbo psychology (laughs) stuff. This is literally in your brain. The more gray space you have, which is developed through presence and mindfulness, the more ability you have to return to that frontal lobe. The more reactionary you are, which we all have it, right? We've got our phones, we're constantly popping on, all these distractions. We do it to ourselves we are reducing physically the gray space in our brains. And so we don't have the ability neurologically to be mindful and get sage again. And so really step number two is one, we label it and that's it. I got hijacked. I feel scarf triggered, whatever. Now you come into mindfulness and mindfulness. Like you were saying, you gave a great example about going for a walk. Sometimes um, that can be, for, for me as a Christian, it could be reading a Bible passage. Right. It could be listening to Christian music. There's a ton of good research on sensory where right. you're just rubbing your hands together or you're doing something to be aware of your five senses, but you're just practicing mindfulness. The whole meditation thing can be useful. Um, what things do you use for mindfulness? What helps you to get kind of in that frontal lobe centered, sage, calm place? So uh, the thing that I, so I have a chair, um, it's on the other side of the camera. Um, I call it my thinking chair and uh, I've had it since college. It's been recovered. I love that it has a name. Yeah. It's my thinking chair. And um, I will sit there. Uh, I'll put on, um, oddly enough, this is going to, people are going to laugh when they, when I, the, I say this, I'll put on like Kenny G or um, uh, some, some very quiet music. Uh, Inya is another one of my favorites that I kind of go to and I just sit there and I think um, I had a, a sometimes I will put on a, um, a friend years ago gave me this uh, CD um, and it was it was by a guy named Dr. Lemon and it was a guided meditation mm. and basically you sit in the chair and um you think relax, just relax. And it was 20 minutes of that. And it got to the point where I could be driving in my car and I would hear the word re- relax and my body would go limp. Mm. 
um, it, it, I don't know that it wasn't hypnosis. It was just, it was a, it was a trigger that when I heard the word relax, I could lean back in my chair and I could start thinking, relax, just relax. And my body would slow, would just, it would quiet down. Uh, I would get incredibly relaxed. Um, so, so I do those things. Um, for me, walking is, is, is a great tool. I, I just go for walks and I think and I process and it takes the emotion out of it because you're, you're, you're using your body in all different ways. Um, the energy is, is not is directed into your muscles and things like that, as opposed to directed into that, that limbic system, uh, that, that amygdala area. Um, and so you're able to get some things out. Uh, but that's really what I do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it reminds me of uh, years ago when I started, I went to a yoga class at the work site where I was and we did yoga. And there is, of course, yoga when you do it right. And this instructor was very big on the deep breathing piece of it. And so we did that and we actually were doing it several times a week. And I tend to be a high strung person. So what I noticed is because we were doing this and it plays on your relaxing this deep breathing and the yoga, when I would start to get anxious, I didn't have a key word like you did, but when I would start to get anxious or worked up, my body would instantly start deep breathing and calm me back down, which is interesting. Like we, we can train our bodies, we can train our minds, but we physically have to go. There's a neuropathway that goes this way to the limbic system. There's the neuropathway that essentially, or the, it's not like it's leading to the limbic system. It's just a limbic system response or a frontal lobe response. And we get to choose, are we taking that lizard response or the sage response? And when we're doing activities, we're conditioning our mind to take the sage response rather than that lizard response. So those are great. So real quick, just because our time, we just have a couple minutes left. The third step then really comes down into the last thing is the opportunity to visualize. And on those pathways, not only can we do things with our body that helps us to take that sage response, but we can actually create a practice that helps us to do that better. And with visualization, you can either proactively visualize in the morning, where do I think that I might get hijacked today? What do I think might get me worked up and how do I want to respond? How would my sage self respond or processing the past and rewriting the story? If we were to go through that again, how would my sage respond versus how does my lizard respond? Mm -hmm. And that whole visualization, what's your thoughts on visualization and how that the effectiveness of that, have you experienced it? Yeah. So we were talking um, before about, um, uh, a basketball study. And, uh, so, um, this professor at university of Chicago in the fifties, um, did a study. He had one person practice his free throws, um, every day for 30 days. Uh, the other visualized himself making three, uh, doing free throws for 30 days. And one person did nothing. The person who practiced physically practiced, uh, had an improvement of 24%. The person who just visualized had a, a, an improvement of 23%. And obviously the guy who did nothing didn't improve in any way. But um, so I was going to tell you this story. I told you I had a story about this. So, so I was, I was doing my doctor work in these areas, in this area. And I, and I had read a study about visualization and I thought, this is, this is crazy. I don't buy it, but I'm going to try. So I laid in bed one night 
And I visualized myself doing 200 sit-ups. And the next morning I woke up and my abs hurt like crazy. What? Yes. No joke. Okay. Actually, it's in a book. There's some book that talks about that because we were listening to this audio book um, and audibles on our trip. And it talked about how you can visualize working out and still get, get the effect. And I was like, well, this is great. We're yeah. on this like, you know, 18 hour road trip. So I'm just going to visualize myself doing sit-ups. And of course I only did it for two seconds. So I, I didn't yeah. actually have that effect, but seriously. So your yeah. legs actually hurt. Oh, my abs, my abs. Oh, your abs. Yeah. yeah. And, and the, the, the basis of the study was the, uh, they had people actually practice doing things like this to increase strength in their fingers. And then they had another control, uh, another group that just visualized doing that. And the strength in the finger increased at almost the same rate as the person who was actually doing the exercise. And I thought, that's crazy. That's just, that's just insane. I'm going to try this. And I did. I did 200 sit-ups in my brain. And the next morning I got up and my abs hurt. Yeah. So if I could just get the discipline to do that every night. <laughs> right. I, you'd be in amazing shape. It's a new, a new uh, six pack <laughs> coming your way. Exactly. <laughs> yeah, no, it's really powerful. And it's interesting. Again, this is neuroscience. This isn't fluffy, you know, positive psychology. Like this is literal science of what's happening in our brain. But what's really cool is just the art of this seesaw that yeah. happens with our frontal lobe and the, and the limbic system. And the specifically the lizard part of our limbic system is the part that kind of takes us into an emotional downward spiral. And right. that's really not where we want to lead from, not where we want to show up from. It's not really the positive side of ourselves that we're proud of. It's the side that we're like, Oh goodness. Yeah, <laughs> Let me try exactly. that again. <laughs> Oh, me. So, yeah, so yeah, I, I believe in visualization. I, I, I need to do it more. But um, yeah, and, and so the way you can do that is to start your day thinking about your day, uh, jotting down the things that, that um, what's going on in your schedule, and then just kind of pre-process that and, and then be ready for it. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's interesting as leaders, there are days that we lead well, but typically I'm going to say, um, when I think about it, there's probably a piece of every day. Uh, and that's being <clears throat> very, uh, generous to say a piece, numerous pieces in a day that truly did I get hijacked? Did my lizard brain show up? Of course it did. Um, was there an opportunity to do that in a more skillful way? Absolutely. Yeah. Was there a way for me to improve my emotional intelligence by responding more in my sage frontal lobe self? Absolutely. And that's really our goal. Sometimes when we look at emotional intelligence, it seems like a very ambiguous concept. How do you improve emotional intelligence? Right. But this truly is part of it. Like when we are um, hijacked because we lack self-awareness, social awareness, social management, self-management, those are the quadrants of emotional intelligence. And yep. if you are not doing it well, just you, you look at it and say, okay, was the lizard brain going on or was, that my, was I in my sage mode? And I'm going to say, if you're in your sage, you're usually having much stronger emotional intelligence. Right. And, and um, so Daniel, Daniel Pink, uh, 
Um, he's oh, yeah, written, great. written a book uh, on, it's called When, and it's about when to do things. Um, and one of the fascinating things that kind of is evidence of, of the, the physical aspects of decision-making um, that he brought up, and, and I've seen this in other studies as well, is um, if you're up for parole, people get more favorable responses uh, before a parole board at the beginning of the morning and right after lunch. And the reason is people have, they're, they're just coming in. So they've, they've eaten, they've had something to eat. They've got the, the, the nutrients to, to kind of keep their brain in. So they're, they're more, uh, they're more engaged and more, um, more open. And then at lunch, they've been able to walk away. They've been able to get good food in their or food in their body. And they come back and they have the energy and the, um, and the focus to, to listen, be engaged and, and make good decisions. Uh, and so I, I mm-hmm. think all of that is, is important. It's, it's not just what you do. It's when you do it, be aware of those kinds of things as well. Um, and then, um, and, and be ready to, to step back, take a retrospective of, of your day, what you did, what was good, what was bad. Why did you do those? They can go back to that question. Why do you, did you do it? Uh, I don't recommend doing that in the midst of an emotional breakdown or in the midst of things going south. But if, when you can step back, you know, have those questions of why uh, and deal with those and then, and then, um, you know, get ready to start the new day and, and think about the things that you can tweak and change so that you can, you can make better decisions the next day. Yeah, absolutely. And it's a process, not a destination. Like right. I think as long as our human, um, as long as there is a lizard brain, there will be a lizard. There will be an amygdala <laughs> yeah. hijack. The lizard will show up. Absolutely. Yeah, exactly. All right, good. Well, that was fun. Um, I hope this is helpful for leaders. I know I use this for myself. Um, and it's, constantly a learning process. So hopefully this was useful to give a little insight into that frontal lobe and limbic system and grow some awareness to your lizard brain and what you can do about it. Absolutely. And, and as always, you can uh, find us on YouTube, uh, at Apple Podcasts, at Google Play, and anywhere you get your podcasts. And we'd love for you to subscribe and uh, keep, getting, um, keep getting these episodes of The Innovative Leader. And check out the innovativeleader.co uh, as well. Awesome. All right. Have a great weekend. You too. Later. Bye.